was to was say, listen, you used to live a certain way as pagans, but you know what? Grow up and begin to live a life in which you're free, free from distraction to be the people God's called you to be. And, and uh, we talked about a simple life, a centered life. You remember two weeks ago, and last week we talked about radical singleness and uh, radical marriage. And uh, uh, if you're single, we talked about the, the whole passage in 1 Corinthians 7 about just throwing yourself into God, throwing yourself into uh, his kingdom, his work, his service, and that by being single is a tremendous gift as seen by Paul. Uh, and, and he says, what are you doing with that? And then the marriage, he, we talked about that the other side of marriage besides glory was something called distractions. And uh, that Paul brings it out very clearly here and that as married couples uh, and individuals here, it takes a tremendous amount of time, effort, and energy to live a life that's not distracted. And uh, Paul says, do everything you've got to do to get yourself free as a married individual so you can serve Christ. Let nothing, no one, no situation hold you back from that. And it's going to take a tremendous amount of work because you made the choice to be married. But he says, again, it was last week, verses 29 to 31, uh, go for it. Do it. That's God's call for your life. So uh, let's pray for a minute. And uh, as we move into this third kind of theme on it, we this, a life free from distractions, it's one about calling. It's, it's, it's really difficult to communicate and pray for the grace of God. Uh, but it's in the text, and it's extremely important, I believe, to enable us to persevere long-term and live freely. So uh, let's pray, okay? Lord, I do ask you, Lord, for grace now, for me, for us, to hear you, to touch you, to, Father, that you might set us free. And as we come back together around worship, to live a life free from distraction and free to love Jesus and to love people. So we commit this time to you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I hear feedback. You guys hear feedback? Is it me? All right, can we do something about it? We can't, Peter. Nothing we can do? All right. Okay. Who needs it? Remember last week, I ended by talking about creating a firewall. In computers, uh, there's something that you can, a program you can put into your computer, the Pentagon does it, corporations do it, to create a firewall where uh, hackers and viruses cannot break into your computer and do damage to it and uh, it blocks access. And so there are people out there who professionally do hacking and try to break into places like the Pentagon, defense system and corporations and Microsoft to steal money and banks. But uh, we're called to set up a firewall in our lives to keep things from breaking in, to keep viruses, to keep the world, to keep the culture, to keep those things which would distract us from cutting in. So today we're gonna talk about what does that firewall look like? Now, the world in which we live in manages just fine without God. You know as well as I do, as you walk out the door today, tomorrow, go to work, most people are not thinking about God. God is on the margins. Life is all about my five senses, what I hear, see, feel, think. Outside of that, the invisible spirituality, irrelevant. And so to live a life in which you're undistracted for the Lord Jesus Christ, friends, is, is extremely radical. Now, Os Guinness, uh, who's a uh, Christian scholar, studies culture, uh, I, I, I believes, and I, I agree with him, that he wrote this, followers of Christ today in the modern world confront the most powerful culture in human history, the first truly global culture. And this culture has unprecedented power, and it goes into the media and everything else, to shape behavior. And the damage of this global culture has already proved far greater than all the persecutions in the entire history of the church. That's the kind of pressure that you're under, and so am I. Many of you know Chuck Colson. He, he uh, was the founder of Prison Ministries International. And uh, 
I, I read an article he wrote recently, and he said, when I used to go into prisons 25 years ago, it was very, very different. He said, young people that were there had a sense of God. Today, 25 years later, it's an entirely different scene. Now, if you mention God the Father, it's seen as outrageous. There's anger. There's a level of secularism or, or far, uh, uh, so far away from spirituality and God that it's an entirely different work among the prison system than it was 25 years ago. And he was talking about across the nation. And it has to do with this global culture assault on us living here in the United States of America. So to live out this, a life free from distractions, is going to take enormous courage. It's going to take, friends, it's going to take God to live this out where we're living today. Now, some of you are history buffs, and one of the most courageous little stories about courage uh, comes from, uh, it's a true story, in, in um, ancient Greece, 480 BC. There was the great Persian army at that time led by a guy named King Darius. And they were, I'm sorry, King Xerxes. And they were coming to invade Greece. They were conquering countries one after the other. They had at that time the greatest army the world had ever known. And their army had 330,000 men. 80,000 were on horseback and chariots. And they came marching into Greece, which at that time was a bunch of scattered little city-states. They had a very weak army of 7,000. And within that army, there was only really 300 that were really committed to die, to, to, to fight to the death. And so you've got to imagine, this army of 330,000 people marches into Greece to basically pounce and wipe it out. And so this little army of 7,000 with really 300 at the core sits itself up in a certain spot between a cliff and a sea and begins to basically to fight. And the story goes, and it is a true story, is that they did fight to the very last man, where every single one of them died. But they, so, they held out for so long, so valiantly, that the Greek armies, I mean, the, the Persian armies were in disarray because they lost so many men, far beyond, beyond what they ever dreamed. It really took a, a kind of a, a flanking move to surround the Greeks and, and, and wipe them out. But the, their ability to stand firm and be courageous to the last man sent the message throughout the rest of Greece. And in fact, the Greeks ended up winning the war. But it was the courage. It was a very famous battle in history because of their commitment and willingness to stand to the very last man. I do think there's something in that for us today. As I was thinking about the enormous pressure you're under. I, I, I know the enormous pressure I'm under. To stand for God and to live a life free from distractions in which you spend plenty of time with the master and develop your relationship with him. It's so simple and yet it's so extremely difficult. Now the passage today begins in verse 17 and it's about calling. I want you to underline the word calling as we read it. We're going to read seven verses. You're going to see it about eight, nine times. And because Paul is trying to get these Corinthians out of their culture and free to live a life free from distraction. So it begins verse 17. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I laid down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. Key verse 23. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man is responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. All right, now, very quickly, what do you think of 
when you hear the word called. I'm, gonna ask, I'm looking for one to three word answers. That's it. All right? I'm not asking for an, an exposition or a sermon. It's my job. All right. When you think of the word called, what comes to your mind? Chosen. Okay, good. What else? Raise your hand and then I'll get you. What feelings, thoughts? Yes. Calls you by name. Good. Gee. Set apart. Passion. Wow. Great. What else? Handpicked. Good. Purpose. Faith. Cool. Monique. Anointed. Wow, that's good. Yes. Confirmation. Okay. Good. Destiny. Wow. The one? Cool. Good. Yes. Responsible. Enabled. Okay. Chosen. Okay, and, and, and for how many of you is it a positive or a negative? Most is positive. I, I, the reason I didn't actually want to do this message is because there is so much confusion around the word. And it's used so flippantly and so poorly and so out of context. I said I could spend half my message just correcting all the misunderstandings of what called means. And uh, our lives are, are pretty much, if, you, if your firewall in your life is not rock solid to keep viruses in, your life is dominated by three things, fears, illusions, and self-protections. They're in there. And so fears, what you're afraid of, illusions, thinking things that are true that are not true, and all these self-protections dominate you. But what Paul does here is he basically goes after um, the negative baggage. I want, to, I want to just set the negative baggage aside for a minute, okay? We're not talking about your career, but talking about calling. We're not talking about your vocation. We're not talking about the called ones are called to be monks and priests and pastors or missionaries. Uh, we're not talking about someone said, I, got, I, got, I was called in a prophetic word to be a teacher. We're not, that's not it either. We're not talking about unhealthy exclusivity. You go to work tomorrow and say, I'm called, you're not. You know, I'm in, you're out. It's not that either where it produces arrogance and pride. Uh, for Paul, calling was meant to motivate, to motivate you to see life completely differently so you would live free from distractions. That's how he lifts it up here. And he says, if you can get a hold of this, it will enable you really to have a firewall, to be free from the things that would come in and cause you to be fearful, live in illusions, be self-protective. And because uh, fundamentally, calling is a whole different way of seeing your life. Now, it's nine times here in the text, and, and, and really very simple calling, and, and really, a number of you hit it. If I call you on a phone, I say, hey, Ken, Ken, hey, Joe, Joe, it's, it's, it's someone calls your name. And calling is, when you came to Christ, God called your name, Peggy, Peggy, Joe, Joe. And it was personal, and it was your name on it, and he chose you for that. And, and, uh, you know, I was thinking about the lottery. The last lottery, the big one, it was one in 76 million. Now, it is like in one of 76 million, God chose you. And he called your name. And not only that, he, he adopted you. See, we talk about made in the image of God. You're very special. Every human being is special. This called thing is, is, is a much higher, bigger, larger thing. Because not just that you're made in the image of God. You have been chosen. You have been called out. And, in fact, the church means called out people. And... With your name on it, guys, I'm inviting you to me. I'm calling you to myself. That's the first call to someone, then it's to do something. And I'm calling you to myself to participate with me in what I'm doing in the world. It's a calling. That's your life, says God. 
So he calls Abraham, he calls Moses, he calls Nehemiah, he calls Gideon, he calls Jeremiah, Isaiah, Paul, the 12 disciples, and he calls you. And he goes, come follow me. And he says, you're called. From the moment you give your life to Christ, you are a called individual. And now your life is wrapped up in this world plan God's got for you. So now, it's first to a person, that's Jesus. And then secondly, it's to a mission. Now, let, let me look at verse 17, just a minute. I'll just make a couple comments and I want to try to apply this, all right? He says, listen, each one of you should re re retain the place of life in which God's assigned to you. Now, he's not saying, listen, you got a crummy job, stick with it for life. It's not what he's saying, okay? Again, you got to read the whole rest of the chapter, the rest of the book. His point is this, don't get wrapped up in whether you're married, single, divorced, widowed, regardless of your job, your social class, your economic place in, in society, these things are, are purely secondary. Understand, in a much larger perspective, you are a called individual, and God has called you to himself, and he's called you to a mission and a purpose to serve him. You are chosen, you're special, you're different, you're really different than everybody else, and because you belong to me. And so he goes, you know, circumcision is nothing, verse 19, uncircumcision is nothing. He goes, it doesn't matter. And I love verse 23, he goes, 23, you're bought at a price. Don't be a slave to anybody. Don't be wrapped up in what people think. You belong to God. And so he says, grow up or else all this stuff will distract you. Now, so we have a lot of occupations here, right? We have nurses, we've had some doctors, we've got a couple of lawyers, you know, you've got social workers and teachers and homemakers and um, what else? Carpenters, printers, salespeople, entrepreneurs, you name it. We've got actors and dancers and singers and investment bankers and stockbrokers. And we've got, you're all here. A lot of occupations, but there's only one calling. Got to hear that. You may, whatever your occupation is, you have one calling. And Paul says it's to him. You are chosen and destined and set apart for him. In fact, church means a, a bunch of people gathered together who've all been called and chosen to him. It's not about whether you're going to be a quote, a priest or a monk or a pastor or a missionary. That's irrelevant. Paul says, everybody's in this. If you're a Christian, you're called and chosen. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. All right. Now, with that all set, that's why a fellow named William Perkins wrote a, a long book about calling in, in the 1500s. And here's what he said this. If you are succeeding in your profession and becoming very successful, making a lot of money, moving up the ladder, he says, it may be a blessing, but it also may be a test of your real calling. It's a test to see if you will be pure to your vocation. Your real vocation, which is to him, to Christ. To love and serve him, and then to fulfill your mission that God has for you in your life. But he says, really, the very blessings, as you move along and climb the ladder or get blessed by God, really could be a test. And he says, you need to evaluate that based on your calling. Remember last week I mentioned Hudson Taylor, that he was engaged, and he was going on his way to China. And she didn't want to go to China. She was a believer, breaks up the engagement, he goes to China. Now, based on his calling is the reason he broke up the engagement. He said, you know what, my calling is first to God. And God has called, God's asked me to go to China. She doesn't have that. She doesn't want to do that. She has no interest in that. But my calling is to him. And so that calling to him takes precedence over everything in life. It really is the lens. You've got to hear this. Calling is a lens. Go down for a minute. Go down in the thing. It's a lens through which I see everything. I don't get, oh, God, help me. Calling is the lens. As you look at your life through which I screen every relationship, every activity, 
every choice and every difficulty in life. It is the lens. I don't know what's your lens by which you make decisions. Paul says the lens by which you make every decision, where you move, what you do, who you relate to, is the calling. The fact that God called you to himself to serve him, to be part of his worldwide mission in the church. So, so if you're married, for example, you know what? As, as a married person, the calling is, oh my gosh, I want to honor God and glorify him as an individual in my life and what I allow into my life. As, as a married couple, I want to honor and glorify God in everything we do, everything we touch, everything we spend, every activity we do. And then as we raise our children, I want to honor and glorify God in the whole way I raise kids. Regardless of what the culture is doing, I want to look at the question, how does this relate for me loving God and fulfilling his purpose for my life? Because that's bigger and more important than anything. All right, now, with all that said, so I know for us as a married family, we've got to keep life very simple. Because once we get off simplicity, I lose any sense of calling, and I'm just running around like a madman. And what happens is this huge culture just starts pushing and moving me around. I start comparing myself to everybody else. Before I, what calling? Calling who? I believe Os Guinness is correct. If you can get this calling thing into your bloodstream, it will transform your life. You will look at everything differently. It will be the lens. Now, it's gonna, you need two things to do it, okay? And here's my two little points here. The first is courage. You see that number one? It takes tremendous courage to live this kind of a life, free from distractions, in which I have a sense of I'm called by God, chosen, distinct, separated. He's, he's called me to himself first and then to do some things. Uh, two months ago, there was a number of articles in the paper about a guy um, who was a, the head of the East Coast Bloods, which was a gang in Brooklyn, and his name was Leonard McKenzie. And uh, this fellow was a, had a long crime record, apparently very brutal, very evil. And um, he was in Brooklyn, and uh, there was this, he was outside a bodega, a, a grocery store. And there was also another guy outside the grocery store talk, talking to a young lady named Tyrone. And Tyrone Powell. And Tyrone Powell basically was talking to this girl, this gang leader walks by and uh, says, what are you looking at? And the, guy was, and the guy got all scared. I'm not looking at anything, you know, and he kind of backs into the bodega. And uh, this Leonard McKenzie pulls out a gun, beats him up and shoots him, and walks out, as uh, the owner said, as if he were God. And he wanted a trial because he knew that nobody would dare testify against him. And so at the trial, nobody would testify, including the guy who got shot, who lived. Because in the front rows were the gang members and, uh, and he was very clear and very verbal, the, uh, the guy on trial, that I'll kill you. I'll kill you, testify against me. But the bodega owner was an immigrant from the Dominican Republic. And uh, it came down, he was the only guy left to testify. And um, he takes the stand, and no one knew what he was going to do. His own lawyer told him he should leave the country, okay? Because the police cannot protect you. But to make a long story short, he did testify against this guy. And they asked him in the New York Times, why did you do it? And he simply said, it was the right thing to do. And I mean, I thought about how much courage it took for that guy to do it. I don't know if I would have done it, but I know this. To follow the plan God has for your life takes as much courage as that. You know why? It's equally difficult choices. For example, it takes a lot of courage to shun distractions coming into your life on a daily basis so you can seek first the kingdom of God. It takes great courage 
whether it's job, family, friends. It takes a lot of courage to emotionally stand up to your family of origin, maybe your dead parents, to be willing to look at that and break from patterns of generations in your family and begin to live a life that's different because of Christ. Friends, that takes great courage. It takes a lot of courage to be you. To not live out the script somebody else has for your life. To not live out what everybody else's expectations are. But to live out the unique life God's called you to be. It takes great courage. It takes great courage to be a fool for Jesus. And to look stupid. It takes great courage to be a young person in junior high, high school, or even college. And to follow Christ. And to make a stand for him and to be rejected, to be dumped by a boyfriend, girlfriend, to be alone, to be talked about behind your back. It takes great courage to be misunderstood by family and friends because you're living a life free from distraction. It takes great courage to say, who wants to not be a millionaire? In our culture, it takes great courage to say, that's not my life dream. My life dream is to pursue Jesus and to love him to know him, to draw near to him, and to fulfill his purpose for my life. That takes great courage when people think you're nuts. It takes great courage to get alone to be with God when you have a hard time being alone. It takes great courage to be a married person and work at your marriage so it grows into a place where Christ dwells, to deal with conflict, the messiness, to meet halfway. It takes great courage to take, have a marriage where Christ dwells and there's some glory. It takes great courage to be a single person and to say, my life is about Jesus Christ first. And as much as I would like to be married or be in a relationship, that is not my God or my goal in life. My goal is him. I've been called to him. That takes enormous courage. It takes great courage to admit your shortcomings and say, you know, I make a lot of mistakes. I don't know if it takes a lot of courage to admit my mistakes. It takes a lot of courage to ask forgiveness when you were wrong. It's much easier to live in fear, self-protection. It takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable and weak so Christ can flow through you. You know, it takes a lot of courage to live in the pain of reality and not escape to fantasy, to addiction. It takes a lot of courage to identify those things along the way in life that cause me to become an addictive person and suck me and bring me down and look for help. It takes great courage. It takes great courage to be honest. Friends, it takes great courage to be honest to yourself and to other people and to God. It takes enormous courage. You know, it takes courage to step out and use your gifts and get involved with other people who could hurt you. It takes great courage to do that, especially when you've been hurt. It takes great courage, friends, to love people. It takes great courage to grow in areas of your life where you have no models. Some of you did not have good parenting models, did not have good intimacy model, did not have good emotional boundary models. And for you to grow, friends, takes great courage versus retreat behind a wall of fear and self-protection and illusion. It takes great courage to wait for God. When you trust his promises and you trust his word and you're waiting, it takes great courage. You know, it takes great courage to break unhealthy relationships that you know rather than give you courage are taking it away and they're dragging you down it takes a great deal of courage to work through forgiving somebody else 
it is much easier to somehow escape from it and hope it just goes away. Should I go on? It, it, I, I know for me it takes great courage to take responsibility for my life and not blame everybody else. Wife, kids, you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and it takes great courage to look honestly and say, there are certain friendships and relationships that instill courage in me to fulfill my calling. And there are certain relationships and friendships that discourage me, that take it away and make me want to die and quit and live my life in fears and self-protections. But I'll tell you the first thing, friends, I know to live out calling in the culture we're living in, it's like those 7,000 Greeks remaining surrounded by 330,000 troops from Persia. And you're one of the remaining 300 because in our cult, there is an avalanche coming at you. There was a, the late Cardinal John O'Connor uh, got ripped up in the newspaper one Sunday because he made a comment about the Sunday morning games. You, you have children in sports. You know there's all these games Sunday morning, soccer, basketball. And so no one was getting to church, and so he made some comments about, no, they should make the games in the afternoon at least, you know, or Saturdays. And, and I'm not making a comment about games on Saturdays and Sundays, but it was the reaction he got in the newspaper when he made the comment. Parents, get a life. Get, get in reality, will you? And he got ripped up to shreds. Now, again, without commenting on games on Sundays or not, the point is the pressure of the culture to knock you out of a life of spending plenty of time to get to with a master, it's immense. And it's not going to decrease in the next 5, 10, 20 years. Not in this country. There's no way. And so it's going to take enormous courage to step out of that and draw to God. All right, let me close with this quickly. The second one, firewall, is, is gratitude. And um, I'll just say, I think it's a critical issue in the text. I can't go into it. But Paul's basically saying, whatever your situation is, be thankful. Now, most of you, I know, you're like me. You're grumpy. You complain. You get angry a lot, frustrated. You're discontent, and you're in a big hurry. The critical issue for Paul is calledness and chosenness is a deep sense of, you know, whether you're slave, circumcised, or Jew, free, just be thankful to God. And let God just use that where you are. It's saying thank you. Most of the time, I know life looks messed up. It looks upside down, like Felma talked about earlier. You know, for the Corinthians, it did too. Life is filled with sufferings, failures, disappointment, losses. Amen on that? Every week, I put out on my curb recycled aluminum and cans, don't you? You know what God does? God recycles. God recycles the failures and the losses, the disappointments and your sins and your mistakes and your rebellions. He takes them and he recycles them and he brings you back something more beautiful. But you've got to put it out in the curb. God's the great recycler. That's why you can thank him in everything. We're commanded in everything give thanks, but this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Chekhov was a Russian playwright. He wrote this. You would need to be God to decide which are the failures and which are the successes in life. Sometimes the things you think are a success are really your failures. And the things you think are failures are really your success. Because God's the great recycler. How do we grow? We grow by dying and living, dying and living. We die, and we find out in death, we live. God resurrects it, and, and uh, uh, he takes the smashed stuff, and he weaves it something of a good. For me, I've been so helped, and I've been working so hard at saying thank you. Daily. 
sitting and just making a list and taking time to thank God for what I have. My, for my wife, to my kids, to home, to health, to car, you name it. And, just, and I tell you, what, what enables me to do is be free, with con, be content, okay with limits, and to love people and not feel so crazy. It, sets, it gets me free from the whole culture crazy because I realize I have so much to be thankful for. Friends, our, Moses, you know something, 40 years in the desert was called to gratitude. Was he still called when he was in the desert 40 years? Yes. Are you still called when everything's falling apart? Yes. Was Abraham called when he was waiting 25 years? Yes. Same thing with Gideon, same thing with Samson, same thing with Hosea. When things were going up and down, God was working it for good. God was recycling. God says, so in everything, whether it's good or bad, give me thanks. So what I want to invite you to do this morning, oh, wait, let me, let me, Dr. Andre, why don't you come on forward? There was a pastor in Germany in the 1600s, I'm sorry, 1500s, and uh, there was a war going on called the Thirty Years' Wars. And he was a pastor in the city, and during this war, every pastor in the city quit and left. He was the only one left. His name was uh, Martin Reinhardt. And he had 4,500 funerals to conduct. That's a lot of funerals. Now, I like funerals, but that's getting to be a bit much, including his wife's. Now, at the end of the war, he's pretty much alone there in the city. Three armies take over his country. First, the Austrians, and then the Swiss. And so he's being occupied, and the country's in, his, 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 his town's destroyed. The final general who takes over the town levies this enormous tax on the people. And just, it's, they're, they're so discouraged. So this pastor, Martin Reinhardt, goes to the general, the Swiss general, and pleads for mercy. The general says no. So what Reinhardt does, he turns to the people and says, listen, we can find no mercy with man, let's try God. And so he kneels before the general in prayer and he begins to give God thanks. And in fact, he wrote a famous hymn at that point about thankfulness and all the hymn books. He does what I like to call thank therapy. I would like to invite you this morning, I believe it's, it's one of the two critical issues of being called, one is courage and the second is gratitude. I want it, I want, I'm going to save you a lot of money in therapy right now. I'm okay. I think therapy is a healthy thing. To be thankful does therapy. It sets you free from running, from comparing, from competing, from being angry, from being annoyed, from being discontent, from dying, trying to do 12 things at once. And what I want to do right now, I want to invite you to get a little piece of paper out somewhere. And if you find a pen, find a pen. The essence of sin, according to Romans 1, is ingratitude. They did not give God thanks, nor they glorified him, nor gave him thanks. And I would like to invite you to engage in some thankful therapy so you can get to the root of your chosenness, your calledness, your distinctiveness, and just begin to thank God for the delays, for the disappointments, for the losses, for the weak spots of your life, for places where you're, you're struggling. Say, thank God in it. And just, Andre's going to sing this song. I'm going to let him just sing it through once. And I just want to invite you, just take a few minutes. Don't sing with him first. And just spend some time being thankful, gratitude. And asking the Holy Spirit to enable you to get a sense of your coldness and chosenness. And then we're going to come back to just 
And Andre, we will sing with you. And just, oh God, enable us to see Jesus, to fall in love with Jesus, which just lifts us up. Okay? Sandra, come. So begin to just write.